Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice and Nathan Baird on a Monday Madness, which means at the end, we're going to get into some uh, what you're thinking, what you're eating, what you're watching kind of stuff. But we have two topics that we're going to talk about first. The second one will relate to sports betting and what should and maybe should not be allowed when it comes to certain college sports. This is a particularly an Ohio discussion because gambling was legalized in Ohio on January 1st. And there's an incident that has happened in Ohio. But we understand not all of you listening are in Ohio. So it's a, it's a bit of a broader discussion about college betting. And we also understand that some of you don't care and some of you actively dislike that discussion. So we're not going to start there. We're going to start, Nathan, with something that I think all Ohio State fans care about. I sent it out to the texters on a survey, and I just looked at the answers, and I will say I was moderately surprised, but moderately pleased. And the discussion is this. Should the entire college football schedule move up? And the the specific part of that would mean the regular season ends a week early, and Ohio State-Michigan are no longer Thanksgiving week. The idea, and we can get into it, it's about – Figuring out when the playoff games are played. Do you stay away from NFL playoff games? Can you land things on New Year's Day better? But but the real ramifications, Nathan, would be that instead of Thanksgiving week being the last week of the regular season, Thanksgiving week would now be conference championship game week. So you sit down, you have your Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday, and then Friday night, Saturday, those are the conference championship games. The Big Ten championship game would be that Saturday, and Ohio State-Michigan would be the week before. Let's go to those specifics first, Nathan. It's an Ohio State podcast with an Ohio State audience. I don't know. We have to remember, this is not like they were playing at Thanksgiving week back in Woody's days all the time. It's It's been in late November, but it moved when the schedule moved back. It used to be the week before Thanksgiving. Since 2010, it's been Thanksgiving week. So you're not messing with a hundred year old tradition here. You're messing with what people have become accustomed to lately. What do you think, Baird? What do you think about Ohio State, Michigan, not Thanksgiving week? Well, it's interesting because 
100% of my experience in the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry is that it's a Thanksgiving tradition. So it has almost become a bit of a thing with my family. We host everybody here, and we have to host everybody here for Thanksgiving because I have to turn right around and either go to Ann Arbor or get ready to cover the game here locally. So I actually do have almost, of the things I have any emotional attachment to, this is almost one of them. But as with any discussion with Ohio State-Michigan things, We've talked about this before, and I think it needs to be introduced very early here. You have to think about things not in terms of what they have meant to you in the past and how they have felt in the past. It's what it is going to feel like and be like in the future. Because we are about to step into a new reality with the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, which is rematches there's going to be a lot of rematches in in since 2010 and i I did a story a couple years ago about what it was like for Ohio state fans the year that there was no rivalry game uh was no game the game because of covid and what they missed out on it and what kind of hole that left for them and their families and these traditions that even if it's only been in the last 15 years 20 years have really built up around that week and people come in and sometimes you're on both sides of the rivalry and just really important memories for, for these families. Um, but it's all built around this major event. And we have, I think, accepted that that event is going to be, what other word, like diminished by the fact that many times they'll turn right around and play the very next week. So I've tried to, I, that's how I, I tried to put my mind in that place very quickly as I was thinking about this, because the, the, the idea of this once a year Ohio State Michigan thing and the fact that that being during Thanksgiving week might enhance it is about to go out the window. So I guess the question is, does it enhance it or does it not enhance it? And we've talked about this before, that when you don't have control over a thing, you try to make the best of it. So you've taken... Again, I, I I bet, I am sure, I, you don't have to bet, there are people who would say two of my five favorite days of the year, two of my three favorite days of the year, my two favorite days of the year are Thanksgiving Day and the Ohio State-Michigan game. Yep. There are people who love Thanksgiving, who like Thanksgiving more than they like Christmas, more than they like their birthday, because it's not about presents. There's not the pressure of that. It's just food. And people you care about. That, and football, right? That's really, there's not much more to Thanksgiving than that. And so that, and then we know, it's like Ohio State, Michigan, what are you talking about? If you're an Ohio State fan, I think that, of course, that's one of your five favorite days of the year. So people have made, in a world where it, it's what it is, have said, okay, well, it's, I mean, it's like a, like a four-day weekend. We just do this whole thing. We smush them together. But if they're not smushed together, I, I I don't know, then then you know, we'll separate them and we'll we'll keep those two awesome days apart, right? So like that that idea. Let me go straight to. We'll go to the survey in a second. Let me read. We got a bunch of responses. I actually did not have a chance. I usually try to go through the responses. I'm going to do it raw. This is from the two one nine. Doug, I am thrilled. They're considering moving the game back to the weekend before Thanksgiving. Our annual party for the game in the years before 2010 were jam-packed with visitors. Super fun. 
after Thanksgiving, more people had holiday plans and couldn't come. So there is this idea, Nathan, that if you sort of maybe end up spending Ohio State Michigan Day with your Thanksgiving crew, cool. But also there's people who maybe it's like, well, I don't eat Thanksgiving with my friend Jill. I mean, Jill Jill goes to her mom's house in in Baltimore. So then like, you know, if it was the Saturday before, Jill would be front and center. Jill would where be wearing would paint her face scarlet and gray. Jill is screaming. She she curses Michigan at every moment. I love when Jill comes over for Ohio State Michigan, but since 2010 she's at her mom's and she can't come over. So like there's definitely a part of that Nathan, right? That maybe people have had a good decade plus of smushing them together, but if we're going to pull them apart again, okay, well we'll go back to our thing where your Thanksgiving crew and your Ohio State Michigan crew maybe aren't the same people, but then separately you just have two awesome days with the two separate crews that you have, and that could be a good thing. Honestly, I hadn't really thought of that. I'd only been thinking of it from the perspective of the way it is sort of maybe extended the Thanksgiving week weekend for uh, families that are already getting together. Now you you just kind of pull that into the weekend, or maybe you even move your Thanksgiving stuff to the weekend and have it all around the game. But maybe it's actually a wash because some of that would then be diminished, uh, but and, and maybe you would not extend your weekend the same way. But as you're saying, now there are people who currently can't get together for the game because they do split and go everywhere else. And then now you get to go back to this tradition that's built exclusively around the game. You're like your local crew, right? Like your, your in-state, especially like local crew that only has to go a couple hours maybe to be a part of it. Like that can still be together. Whereas maybe it wouldn't during Thanksgiving week. I think that's an important thing to bring up. Cause I had previously only sort of been thinking of it um, from the other side. Like, because again, that story I did a couple of years ago where it's just like a lot of people who, who, you know, who basically said, like, we move a lot of our Thanksgiving stuff to the weekend and just build it all around the game instead of building it around Thursday. I do think people are resilient, Nathan. Let's talk about people. Let's talk about the human race. Traditions are important. I think it helps all of us to have tent poles in our lives, to have things to look forward to. I would say... And I haven't talked about Disney World on this podcast as much as I used to. One of my favorite parts, I think a lot of people, one of my favorite parts about going on vacation, any vacation, is planning the vacation. I like the planning almost as much as I like the going. I like the looking forward to it. I like thinking about what we're going to do. And that helps me get through, you know, the doldrums of like, oh, man, it's February. What are we doing? It's like, oh, well, that's what are we going to you know, eat for lunch on that on this Wednesday on vacation. I like that kind of thing. Thinking about what you're going to do for the Ohio State-Michigan game, right? Oh, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to go, is Jill going to come over or not? Well, maybe we're all going to go over to Steve's and then Steve's going to do a thing. Oh, it's going to be... I think you want to have a tradition, but I think it's okay if traditions change, if traditions evolve. So there was a time when the game was before Thanksgiving. And then when it got moved to Thanksgiving... You know, maybe some people are like, oh, I can't believe this. But then, like, you make the best of it and you try in that moment. And I do think that people, right, one of the things, I think the tent pole that matters here, I'm I've quit teasing the results, Doug. The tent pole that matters, Nathan, is that it's the final game of the regular season. And the things that you're noting, 
of what is going to change. The possibility of a rematch is there. The possibility of a playoff game is there. But that tent pole staying where it is still is going to mean something. So I, the texters, when I asked this question, I said, what do you think of college football maybe moving its entire schedule forward a week in order to start the playoff games a week earlier? That would mean Ohio State-Michigan would be the week before Thanksgiving and the conference title games would be the week of Thanksgiving. The game moved permanently to Thanksgiving in 2010. Ask the question. Yes, change it, start the season a week early and move everything up. No, definitely want the schedules to stay as it is. I love Ohio State-Michigan Thanksgiving week. Don't really care either way as long as Ohio State-Michigan ends the regular season. Those were the three options I gave the Texters, Nathan. What do you think won? I think C won. Which one's C? The last one. The third one. The the last one. The third one. Yes. Okay. The the thing about don't really care either way. Yes. Yeah. That did win. 46% said, I don't care as long as it's the last regular season game. 43% said, yes, move it up. Only 10% say, no, don't move it. I love Ohio State, Michigan Thanksgiving week. So this possibility, Nathan, the idea, the reasons that I'm pleasantly surprised by this is that we're on the joy initiative here. We want people to enjoy their college football experience. The idea that only 10% of the people will be mad if this happens, Nathan, makes me very happy because that to me is 10% of the people. So the other 90%, like, you know, Thanksgiving, not Thanksgiving, whatever, just make sure it stays where it is. It takes that 12th game importance, but I'll figure out how to be with people that matter to me, how to enjoy that game. Or even like, hey, uncouple it from Thanksgiving and all of a sudden Jill's back on my couch. Like, I I was worried, Nathan, that, again, here's another thing that could change with college. So much is changing. So much is changing. You have Rutgers in here, right? Rutgers. Rutgers is in here. All the TV affiliations, the announcers are going to be different. The the networks are going to be different, right? So there's more night games. So much has changed. I was a little worried that even though this was a recent change, to Thanksgiving week that people would be like, I can't believe you're doing this to us. And they're not. And that makes me happy, Nathan. Yeah. I'm a little uh, pleasantly surprised by those numbers too. I think it is some recognition though, that the game is the attraction. The game is the commodity here in the entity and the game will draw regardless. I was one of the big proponents. If you remember in 2020 of taking the game and moving it to week one to ensure that the game got played. Guess what? It didn't get played. And I think I was right. And then the other people who were proponents of it at the time were right. You would have, you would have had the game. You would have kept that streak uninterrupted. So I I think that is the most important thing. The game will live on. And also you're going to, again, to back to what I alluded to before, there's going to be years and we probably shouldn't get too wrapped up in, you know, right now, Michigan and Ohio state are, have this, this great head to head at the top of the, of the East, things are going to change here. But for right now, into the foreseeable future, many years, probably where the game will then lead into the rematch the very next week. So now you're, it's still expanding through Thanksgiving week where it's still all going to be Ohio state, Michigan. So if you have a family that has an Ohio state, Michigan rift, 
you're going to be coming off of the results of one game and leading into the results of one that very weekend. I think that's kind of fascinating. It will be a little odd because you won't know. You're going to be planning your Thanksgiving not knowing if Ohio State's going to be playing two days after Thanksgiving yep. and who they're going to be playing if they are playing. And so there will there will create some uncertainty there, which might be a little bit odd. But it's one of those things where it could you you've said many multiple times here. Like I again, like just you think like we thought many, like when they went when Ohio State and Michigan were in opposite legends and leaders at the start of this, and it was like, oh, they can meet the Big Ten championship. And I was like, well, it no, never I, happened. That's why I brought so it up that you USC is yeah. gonna change things. Penn State might change things. And just the idea that in a 16-team Big Ten, Ohio State and Michigan are going to play every year, you're giving somebody a loss for sure. And maybe there's somebody else who has an easier schedule or an easier path, and all of a sudden, you know, there might be somebody that if if, if someone's taken a second loss in Ohio State-Michigan, maybe that team's actually better than Penn State or USC or Wisconsin or Michigan State, but they're not the second-best team that gets in the title game. So anyway, but the idea, I also think that it adds, it's like, well, you play Ohio State, Michigan the week before Thanksgiving. That's certain. And then maybe you get a version of what you have now. Then maybe you get the Ohio State, Michigan Thanksgiving version. Maybe it's like a Thanksgiving bonus. It's an extra side dish. You, you know, you have turkey, you have sweet potatoes, you have mac and cheese, you have a uh, casserole. People in the Midwest eat. People eat the casserole. My wife eats green the bean casserole, casserole. Like with the soup on top. Green bean casserole. Green bean casserole. Yeah, the green yeah. bean casserole. And then it's like, maybe, and then also maybe you have another side dish of Ohio State, Michigan, too. So I I think it can work out. And just let me run through a couple of these. I need Ohio State, Michigan the week of Thanksgiving. It makes the lead up and experience way more enjoyable. I head back to Cleveland for the holiday, and I love watching the game on Ohio soil surrounded by family from the 4-4-0. So that's the opposite side of that, right, Nathan? Yeah. That's the opposite yeah. of, I like, it's sort of what you were talking about earlier. Hey, Doug, from the 808, really tough to answer that question. The traditionalist and me loved the game on Thanksgiving weekend. We were able to watch together with family as we are all now scattered across the country. However, the realist in me realizes that college is evolving in a better way with the 12-team playoff, and adjustments need to be made to make that happen. So I guess I would vote yes, but I don't love moving the game. Thanks for all the great thought-provoking surveys that you and the team provide. That's Craig in San Diego. Hello, Doug. Didn't the game you always used to be the week before Thanksgiving, before the bio group was added uh, from the 614? Yeah, that like that's the there really is the tradition. When we're talking about like long tradition, it's that because the bye week going from an 11 game regular season to a 12 game regular season. I mean, once upon a time, it was a 10 game regular season that kept pushing the college football schedule back. And this actually would be moving it generally and i'm going to look for some more answers nathan so maybe like i i actually think moving it up probably lands college football in its more natural state it's one of these things when you have the world series games in november and it's like are you kidding me do whatever you have to do so the world series is never on november 2nd like just move it up either cut it or move it up so like the idea that you kind of would settle everything that conference championship games would end November rather than start December. And then it's like, okay, everybody's done by the end of November. And then the playoff is in December or bowl. 
right? I mean, I, I, there's just, I think there's some natural stuff to this. And again, everybody wants more, but I think college football's natural state might be the whole schedule moving a week earlier. Yeah, I, I thought about that too. And it, the, obviously, once you get into a certain stage of the playoffs, everything is just indoors for as far as like the where the games are being played. But I do think that there is something to be said for pulling college football out of the heart of winter as much as you can. And even if it's just by one week, I think it just feels right. It feels like there's a portion of the winter that is left for the NFL for good reason and that college sports college football needs to be pulled farther in towards the fall and the late summer. Now, one thing I will say, and this only affects like 30 or 40,000 people, and it's only going to be occasional, but I'm sure there are people right now who are going through the scenario where it's like, okay, well, Ohio State, Michigan is a week before Thanksgiving. And then Ohio State, I'll get to go watch them. Uh, I'll drive down I-70 or whatever in the to Indianapolis and watch them play that game. But that is not where that game is going to be played forever, we don't think. There's very likely that in the future that game's going to be in Los Angeles or Las Vegas or somewhere else in the Midwest. Like, There's definitely some um, movement out there for that game to move at some point. So that's another thing to consider, too, that for Ohio State fans who want to attend the Big Ten Championship game, that's always been a very convenient thing. And if it, even if it were Thanksgiving week, it's still very convenient. You just drive there Saturday morning. You stay the night if you want to. You drive home Sunday. And now it could be a lot more complicated. But again, that's a small subset of everybody that roots for Ohio State football that's going to have to deal with that. And I do think, I mean, the one thing is when you have Ohio State in like playoff road games and that kind of thing, there's enough Ohio State fans that like, well, there's this this group of thousands and thousands and thousands of those goes to this game. And then this group of thousands and thousands and thousands goes to this game. But in a 12-team playoff, if the Big Ten Championship game is in Vegas or L.A. or Minneapolis, wherever we think it's going to be, there's going to be much less impetus to be like, oh, I got to be there. It's like, why? Right. Because like they're probably in the playoff, win or lose, and wouldn't you rather prep yourself to get to a quarterfinal, right? Or to go, oh, they're going to – if they lose and they're the 10 seed, they're going to play at Georgia in a playoff game. Wouldn't you rather go to that than go to Vegas to watch them play maybe even Michigan again when you just watched it? So – Right. There's, I, but again, the the idea of like we have to be prepared to change our to change what we're used to in how we watch this team is just all part of this. So, some people are more willing than others. When I lived at home with my parents, I enjoyed Ohio State Michigan week being Thanksgiving week. The shared week allowed me to talk about the game with my extended family leading up to it. As a married adult with a child, not so much. I have family members from out of state staying with us during Thanksgiving week, leading to too much enjoyment at one time. This is what we're talking about. It's too much enjoyment. Two of the five best days. I would rather enjoy Michigan week as its own entity and Thanksgiving as its own entity. Why have two of the best events of the year at the same time? Thanks. That's Roger from Athens. That's really good. Roger from Athens, you crystallized a lot of what we just talked about. From the 740, Ohio State Michigan was always the week before Turkey Day. No harm in going back to that. Agree. As a graduate of both West Point and Ohio State, that's pretty cool. I am all for this, which would allow Army Navy to return to the first weekend in December from the 640. From the 614, excuse me. I can't enjoy my birthday or Thanksgiving because they are too close. If we lose, my birthday stinks. If Thanksgiving or my birthday are first, then they stink because the game is always looming. Move it. I hate it. I want the enjoyment of the holidays back from the 307. That's good. That's good. That's very good. 
as a nearly 50-year-old, I remember having the game a week earlier, and I have no real preference now. The reason it hurt us then was that the Big Ten finished before so many other conferences, and then the players were not as ready for the bowl games. There was all kinds of talk about this after the 41-14 debacle against Florida. This new plan would mean everyone shifts a week, so Ohio State would not be at a disadvantage. Jeff in Maryland. Moving the season up has no impact on me from the 3-3-0. So, like, that, I, I can't read everybody's, and I just – I read them. I read them. We can't say them all in the pod. I love when you guys give us a sense of this. But the sense of this, Nathan, is I think most people are okay with it. So the bigger picture part of it, that the entire college football schedule would move up a week, there's this goofy week zero thing they do now where a handful of teams play the week before everybody else. And as it stands, most of college football starts on Labor Day weekend, but there are some games the Saturday before. So you would get rid of week zero and you just let everybody play that first week. So now Labor Day weekend is week two instead of week one. It feels like to me enough people have become accustomed to like, why are you playing this a week earlier? Like Northwestern Nebraska and Ireland was a week earlier this past year. So you can't, no more week zeros. No more week zeros. If you're going to this and everybody starts the same week, no more. Because you, I mean, what, you play like on August eighth. Because oh, well, now we're we're week minus one or whatever. But if week one is just that earlier week in August, like the last week in August, instead of like the first weekend in September, I think that's fine from that perspective. Generally, of we're thinking about the beginning of the college football season. Is there any reason that we would not want college football to start a week earlier than it does right now? No, but you, you would have to make some concession. If you're going to go keep playing games in Ireland for travel reasons, there would have to be some small concession played. So maybe it's not a full week, but some adjustment would have to be made. But no, I don't th- I mean, I don't I don't understand why they wouldn't just move it all up a week, especially it's not it's not just moving it up a week. For no reason, it's because you're adding things to the back end, so it makes sense to to push it up and condense it a little bit uh, just to fit that in more more favorably. So then the back end of this, right? And part of this is there, the, the big discussion is trying to avoid the NFL conflicts in December. As it is right now, the schedule they have put out for 2024 for the playoff, and this is what it's going to be. You know, They're not going to adjust this before 2024. So last week of the regular season is Thanksgiving week. First weekend in December is conference championship week. Then they would take the next two weekends off. And then the third, that so then like, the December, like, what is it, like 1920 weekend, like that kind of thing, is when the first round of playoff games will take place. They have one on that Friday and three on Saturday. So when you play your conference championship game, you're playing in that. You then have weekend off, weekend off, play. So you have three weeks to get ready for that opponent, right? I think it's only it's only one weekend off, right? It's like a two-week gap, but you play at the end of the second week, one, right? Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so there's only one week off. So you have to have at least one week off. So you only get one week off, then you play, and then you would get like another week off, and then you would play the quarterfinals on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And the right. bottom line here is they would like to get with the moved-up schedule where the semifinals would be on New Year's Day, not the mm-hmm. quarterfinals. So you're trying to squeeze in a whole extra round before New Year's Day, which means you've got to move the whole schedule a week forward. So I do think, and then once, because once you get into, you kind of know what the bracket is, 
right? You've got to sort of give it teams like a little, like you have to have the week off. It's only, that's not two weeks off. It's one week. You have to have the one week off before the first game. Cause it's like, Hey, we just figured out who we're playing, but now we know what the bracket is. So if you play and then you play the next week, like that's more normal. That's okay. That's how the NFL does it. So I do think in the end, and then they're trying to stay away from some NFL stuff. And if you do the semifinals around new year's day, that's like the last week of the NFL regular season. The NFL is not in the playoffs yet around new year's day. They're not in the playoffs yet. So you could get everything done except your championship game before the NFL playoffs start. And then you could just drop the championship game in midweek, wherever you have to, to avoid the NFL. So the bottom line is yeah. you would be trying. Now, there might be regular season NFL games late in the year that you're bumping up against, but like, okay. But you're going to avoid the NFL playoffs. You're going to get the semifinals on New Year's Day. That's not what it's going to be in 24. It's quarterfinals New Year's Day in 24, the second round. But do we think that generally, Nathan, is a better schedule? Move it up for college football at large. Move it up, start it a week earlier get done conference championship games week of Thanksgiving. Then the playoffs can start. You can basically do all the playoffs in December semifinals around new year's day. And then one more championship game on like January 12th or whatever. Yeah. Is that where they're going to get and where they should get that you'd basically be fitting it into the calendar we have right now. And, and to me right now, what they have where you're playing the championship game around then that, that second weekend in January is that even feels like it's pushing it a little like that's almost the extreme boundary to me. The idea that you would would not actually be playing the championship game for another like 10 days beyond that. That's where it starts to feel a little bit unwieldy. Like maybe you've sprawled a little bit beyond what is natural and what you really need to do. I don't, I, I don't think you lose anything by moving the whole calendar into week one or week. What is week zero right now? And just pushing everything up. I don't think you lose anything. And I think you might gain by, again, avoiding some of the head-to-head stuff that they're going to be looking at right now as it pertains to going up against the NFL. Because as popular as football is, depending on the matchup, the NFL is going to potentially overshadow what you've got going on at the college level and some of those head-to-head games. So the schedule they have right now, the, the championship game for the 2023, excuse me, for the 2024 season. Right for the 2024 season, which will be the first one of the 12-team playoff championship game. Right now is January 20th, and then the 2020 that January 20th, 2025. Then for the 2025 season, it's January 19th, 2026. That's just like a week later than about they are now. That you just slide everything up. You're just jamming in extra playoff weeks. But I think they'd rather keep the championship game around where it is now, which requires moving up the whole. I think this is where they'll get to. Like I, I like we're having a theoretical discussion. It's been leaked and discussed because I think they're trying to prep people for what this is going to be. So my advice for Buckeye Talk listeners after that enthralling discussion about does Doug know how to make a calendar in the end for now, right? For another year or two, it's going to stay as it is, but I would prepare yourself for three, four years from now. The new normal will be. The college football season starts a week earlier. Ohio State, Michigan is the week before Thanksgiving. Conference championship games are the week of Thanksgiving. Most of the playoffs take place in December. Semifinals around New Year's Day. National championship game around like the 10th, 11th, 12th of January. Okay. 
mark your calendars four years ahead because there's nothing. I mean, what's better podcasting than everybody pull out your 2027 calendars. Ready? Let's mark it down. My, I will say, Nathan, I, my, one of my favorite Christmas gifts every year that my wife gets me and I get different colors is this very nice, uh, like leathery, uh, calendar book that I have every year that I write down my whole life in this book. I write down when the games are, I write down mostly that it's just mostly when football games are played. <laughs> and then the, the day is when my children will choose to talk to me, but I do love my calendar and I collect them. It's a mini diary. So I am a, are you still a hardback write stuff down guy or are you completely, I just type stuff into my calendar or my phone and I, that's it. I'm a mix. Um, People probably notice this room. This is where I often podcast from. I have one of the um, the flat desk calendars in here, but it is on <laughs> it's on January 2022. So I got one, and oh, then I wrote a bunch terrible. of stuff on here, and just kept taking notes on here. And I don't think I ever got to another month. But that's if if because part of the thing is this may not be where I. We're trying to set up like some permanent office spaces in the house for myself and my wife. So um, I will probably have one of those in the future. But I've also got much more into the the digital ones that are on my phone, whether it's in my mail or the one that just comes on your iPhone or whatever, because then they send me alerts. That's the important part, because if I write it down, it's written down somewhere. I forget to go look at it. But if I send an alert, it's a much easier way. Like I've got someone there shoving me in the back saying like, hey, don't forget, you've got to do some meeting in 15 minutes. Yeah. For my meetings and like when we're recording podcasts and stuff that I do on my phone for like the bigger picture things, I like to write it and have it in my book. And I also do keep track and I've, I've, I'll ask it now. I don't, I'm not really asking it yet for an answer, but I, I've always since 2013, I write down how many hours I work a day and how many hours I work a week. And probably for the last three years, I write down how many hours I sleep every night and I track my weekly work and my weekly sleep. And I'm always wondering, does the average person in a week work more or sleep more? Because depending on the week depends on, for me, which one is more. You know what I mean? Because... You know, not that we all work five days a week. Some of us work six, some of us work seven. Maybe you're on a four day, 10 hour shift or something. And a lot of jobs are malleable and those kind of things. But if you kind of work, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week, and that's 40, but you sleep six hours a night, seven days a week, that's 42, but you worked overtime this week, or you just don't get paid for overtime, but you got to work more, You Right. I aim to sleep more than I work, but there are many times when I work more than I sleep. Do you think that's interesting or am I just a crazy person? I think most people probably work more than they sleep, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're not getting enough sleep. But I mean, like that would be right. Does that mean that you're probably working more than 40 hours a week? Because I think if you're sleeping less than 40 hours a week, I don't think you're getting enough sleep. Are there a lot of people who are sleeping five hours a night out there and sleeping 35 Um, hours a week? No, but you're talking about you're talking about some big swings. I'm thinking like anybody who gets seven to seven and a half hours of sleep a night but works eight hours a day is getting less sleep than they work that week. But that's not a massive difference. And you're no, they're not. No, they're not. No, they're not. No, they're not. Not if you not if you're not working 
if you're working five days a week, if you if you get oh, I'm thinking eight hours right, of sleep hours. a night. You're right. Okay, yeah, you're right. No. Seven seven days. This is what, to the five days. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, okay, never that's mind. That's the whole right. thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. like, but still, but there, even with five days of work and seven days of sleep, there are, there are weeks where I work more than I sleep. I just right. want to know. I want to know the answer During to this question. Season. I want to yeah. survey this question very badly. In an average week, what do you do more of? And I can go back for the last couple of years and say, in the fifty-two week calendar, I probably had. 35 weeks where I slept more and 17 weeks where I work more. Right. Like right. that's, I'm right. fascinated by what our listeners who represent average Americans would do. And if you don't track it, track it for a week so that when I ask you this tech subscribers in 10 days or whatever, when I want to do this, when I ask you this, you'll have an answer to the question. And I think from a healthy life standpoint, you should, because it's seven days to five days, I think you should sleep more than you work. But there might be people listening to this who are like, are you crazy? I would kill to sleep more than I work. This is how busy my job is. I have two jobs. You know, I have like, this is right. this is whatever, right? And, and I don't like defining work as only like, oh, I'm punching the clock. It's like, well... There are things like things you have to do. You certainly do probably more of that than, than you sleep. But I'm kind of talking about the stuff you get paid for. We all have responsibilities outside of that. But the things you're getting paid for versus your sleep, I would read a the- – well, I should go look for it. What's the answer? Is America split 50-50 on work more, sleep more? Are you a work more or are you a sleep more? I am. In, you have a baby. You're probably a work more. Well, during the past football season, I was absolutely a work more. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure of it. Even the five to seven ratio, I'm sure I was still a work more. But it's one of the reasons why this time of year I prioritize being asleep more, like because it's just not as urgent on a day to day basis as as it is during during in season. Um, and the other thing, not to get this is more something we usually would talk about in the last segment. But for about the last six weeks, I've been using the CPAP because I was diagnosed with mild sleep apnea. Um, because when my wife would wake up in the middle of the night to do baby stuff, I would be snoring to like rattle the, the the walls of the house and she couldn't get back to sleep. So she's like, hey, go see somebody about that. And it, it's not it's not like bad sleep apnea, but there was enough that they had me do it. And so then there's an app that you use that one of the things it tracks is like you get a score at the end of the day. And it's it's based on a lot of things. But like the biggest part of the score is how much did you sleep? And like if you get at least seven hours, you get the full 70 points for the sleep. So like and now it's just like a conscious thing. Like, well, I want to get a good score because that score is getting reported to a doctor or something somewhere, I think. So I got to get at least seven hours of sleep. So that's been a way that it's prioritized for me. I'm very curious. But there's already been even a few nights there where because of things that were happening with the baby or because I stayed up late to work on something, I got way less than seven hours of sleep. So um, I'm very curious how that's going to work out when football season starts again. Work more, sleep more. This is a way to start a conversation. Are you a work more or a sleep more? This is like a dystopian kind of thing. Oh, Mm -hmm. look at the sleep mores over here. They're all like happy and rested. Those lazy. It's like, I want to be a sleep more. Look at these work mores over here. They're so hardworking, whatever, but like, oh, that bags into their eyes. So a lot of it is like we can pretend you have a choice. A lot of it's not a choice, right? So ideally, I, we probably all want to be sleep mores, unless there are work mores who are like, no, 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 I don't want to be a sleep more. I don't want to waste my life. So anyway, 
these are the things that keep me awake. Actually, they don't keep me awake at night because I just fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I do every night when I fall asleep, though, I I set the timer on my phone. So I set the timer mm-hmm. and I close my eyes and I know I don't fall asleep instantaneously. But sometimes I can tell that it take me six minutes to fall asleep, that it take me 20. And then in the morning when I wake up, the first thing I do is I grab my phone and I turn off the timer and then I try to say, oh, how much sleep did I get? So I'm obsessed with it. Okay. I didn't feel bad doing that because it's a whatcha anyway. So people know there's going to be some random junk in this podcast. We just gave you a little bit right in the middle there. When we come back, we'll talk about betting, which some of you don't want us to do. Next on Buckeye Talk. All right. Doug Lamarie is back with Nathan Baird. This is the second thing we're going to talk about. On Monday Madness, we do like two issues. Usually one's an Ohio State issue and one's a bigger picture issue. Both of these are kind of bigger picture issues, although we really leaned into Ohio State in the last one. This is about sports betting, and it's come up. And this is why people may have followed the story, may have not. We like 10 days ago now, as you hear this on a Monday, there was an unusual bet placed at a sports book in Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati at the sports book there. And as a result, the state of Ohio, a couple days after that, stopped taking bets on Alabama baseball games. And as a result, a couple of days later after that, last week, the Alabama baseball coach was fired. So there's a connection there. Like, why did this happen? All we know is unusual betting activity, firing a baseball coach, college baseball coach. Alabama does not have legalized sports betting. So it's like, why would this be happening in Ohio? We don't know why it's happening in Ohio, but there seems to be a connection here that that there was a bet placed and in Ohio as part of this. And The state of Ohio and the gambling operators in Ohio, by law, they have to partner with some of these companies called Integrity Monitors. There's one called U.S. Integrity. There's an international one that seem to be the two main ones. Ohio works with both. And U.S. Integrity, which is in Vegas, flagged the bet. And as a result, they took the Alabama took Alabama baseball off the board. The, The second layer of this, Nathan, is that in as I was reporting on this, I talked to people and came across documents that showed when when Ohio legalized sports betting, there was a debate in Ohio about whether college sports should have betting on them or not. It's like, okay, we're going to do this. You can bet on the Browns and the Bengals and the Reds and the Guardians and the Cavs and everybody like that. And I can remember when this was broached, when this first became an idea of legalized sports betting nationally, I wondered on this podcast, I think, I wondered aloud, hey, I wonder if they'll allow betting on college sports. Would you potentially allow betting on college sports, but not on teams in Ohio? In Ohio, you can bet on USC and Texas and Florida State and Michigan, but you can't bet on the Buckeyes. I wondered that out loud. They allow everything. I talked to a state legislator about this. There was a discussion. Some of the colleges in Ohio said we shouldn't, Ohio shouldn't have college betting at all. Ohio State, and there's a letter to this effect in the documents related to this discussion. Ohio State's place was okay with football and basketball, but let's not have it on the smaller sports. We don't, and mainly Ohio State's point was, if you're talking about like individual athletes, especially on smaller teams, there's college tennis betting that's that's out there. You can find it on an app. There's college lacrosse. There's college baseball. These lower under the radar sports that have a, a smaller number of players, and you could potentially set them up for like, somebody makes a bet and a tennis person loses a match 
And now there's a better who's like angry at an individual college tennis player for what, like, what are we doing? Right. And so we have a college baseball betting scandal now, and it could have been stopped. If the Ohio legislature had done what Ohio state said, if they had done what a lot of the other colleges said, Ohio would not accept bets on college baseball. So it was a non-starter to say, you can't bet on the football Buckeyes. You can't bet on the basketball Buckeyes. That just was never going to happen. In the end, what the what the bill in Ohio did was allow the Ohio Casino Commission to make the ultimate decision. They legalized, the legislature legalized sports betting, and they empowered the Casino Commission to decide what that meant specifically. And basically, the Casino Commission said, we can do anything. Like, if there's a, there's a market for it, we'll, we'll do it. The legislature could pull that back, Nathan. They could take that power back and say, hey, we're going to pass a bill that says legalized pro sports betting, legalized on college football and basketball, but not legal on any other college sports. They could do that tomorrow if they wanted to. And I think they're going to think about it. So the question is, first of all, how much do people care about this? I don't know. There's an Ohio angle to this thing. The idea that a college coach has been fired at a major athletic department. Alabama sports is as big as it gets. And by the way, SEC baseball, pretty huge. This is not yeah. like, ah, it's baseball. Nobody cares. In the SEC, they really care about baseball. This is this is kind of big. What do you think, Nathan? And I don't know if we're going to pretend to legislate for the entire country. So let's talk about in Ohio, because not to be a jerk about it, frankly, on an issue like this, I'm not so sure that like what we say might not matter a little bit. We're experts on this. The state legislators, a lot of them aren't. They're going to vote on it. They could vote on it. So, hey, I heard on Buckeye Talk, these guys said, you know what? It's fine. Keep everything. These guys said, you know what? They really think you should pull back. What do you think, Nathan? Should there be any limits to the type of college sports that could be bet on in Ohio? So we are still finding out some of the facts of this particular case. And and that will, I think, help, I think, bring me to a final determination. My initial thought here, though, and, and especially as you as you read through this and kind of trace back through the steps is, isn't this sort of a case of the system working? Like a bet came in, there is oversight, it was flagged, it was researched, they were able to surveil the person who placed the bet and and I, have I seen like by, by based on somehow based on video evidence there's been reporting that based on the video surveillance of the casino they can tell that the person placing the bet was talking to the Alabama baseball coach which would insinuate That's that maybe ESPN he was on reported. like FaceTime or something ESPN did report it there's been there was some kind of contact that they've been able to prove or at least allege so uh, to me like this is the idea that you're going to have a smooth ride with gambling is a little bit naive and there have to be guardrails in place and there are, and they caught this. And I think that it's just kind of one of the things that you have to live with in a fledgling industry a little bit. Um, because we can all, rem- if you look back in the annals of sports history, Go back to like the 50s, the 60s, uh, you know, things like point shaving scandals were a lot more common. And now as gambling became uh, more 
legalized and there was more official oversight in place, that became less common. Now, I'm not, I think it's also naive to think that it hasn't been happening ever since then, too. This is kind of one of those things. Like, this is part of the industry. And I don't know how to, um, I don't know how to negate it altogether. You have to just build in this sort of oversight and this sort of, um, uh, of like an infractions system to catch these things and, and punish them accordingly. So that's the thing. You can, you can look at a situation like this and say, A, this shows we shouldn't do this, or look at it and say, B, this shows the system's working, as you just said. The system, like, the system caught it. Now, I think catch it before the bet was made, but the system flags something. But that's, yeah, and then if there is no system, then who's going to flag it? Right. It's like it's, it's, hard to, it's, it's hard to prevent a robbery, a, a gas station robbery from happening before it starts to happen. But once it starts to happen, there are systems in place. You have the alarm system that the person can trigger. You have surveillance cameras. You have all sorts of things that can help you catch the person who did it and take them out of the, the free system so they can't go rob a gas station the next night. You know what I mean? So I, this is, this is um, a... This is an industry where people are always going to be looking for that edge. And we, we still don't even know exactly what the circumstances are of the bet that was placed here and and what the Alabama coach's involvement was and whether it involved something nefarious or whether it was just something as simple as he had inside information on a team that he wasn't even part of that he was playing. You know what I'm saying? Like there, there's still some information that needs to come out. But my first reaction here is um, you're never going to get a, a clean slide through the gambling world. It's always going to be a little bit greasy. So actually, that would imply that the slide, you could slide clean. through. You know what I'm saying? It's always going to be a little bit dirty. It's going to be a little bit grimy. You have to be willing to accept some grime to get you the money that's going to be coming to these entities at the end of the day. If you don't accept that, I think you're being naive. So you have to find a way to police it internally. And that's why there are these companies like the ones you mentioned that are set up. They've been doing this for a long time at the pro level. Um, there have been situations that the Tim Donaghy stuff from several years ago, there were betting patterns that I think people that, that became suspicious over time to the people who are providing oversight to the NBA. And so, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is just another example of that. Yeah. So, but, but that's not really the issue here because it's not really an issue of like, are we going to shut this down? The issue is like, why is there betting on small college sports? Like, cause you can do almost everything. I think you can do 99% of what people really want with, pro sports and college football and basketball. And it almost to me, if who would bet on college baseball or lacrosse or tennis, other than people who think they have an edge, who right. think they have some sort of expertise, but then like, but what, like what's the greater good? Are you denying them their rights? If it's like, I can't believe you won't let me bet on college tennis. It's like, you're fine. Bet on college football. Why do you want to bet on college tennis so bad anyway? Did you know somebody on the team? Like there's a part of me. And again, I do think, and I think you would acknowledge, amateur athletes are just different. So if you're a millionaire and someone's betting money on your performance, it's like, okay, if you're, you're no, no offense. Nobody cares about college tennis. 
but you can bet on who's going to win the college tennis national championship. So now you have a chance to get flack or have somebody make a bunch of money off your performance when otherwise very few people care. I think it would be very easy to eliminate college betting outside of football and basketball because there's just not an audience for it. There's not a legitimate invested audience. So then why should we allow the betting? Because it almost feels nefarious if you do it at all. It's like, what? You know enough about college lacrosse to bet a lot of money on it? What is that? How is that? And so the books will live without it. The states will live without the minute amount of revenue that they can't tax. The betters, and if you're really wound up about it, if you're super wound up about not being able to bet on college baseball or college lacrosse, I'm going to think you're doing something wrong. Like, I'm not going to think, like, I just love it. I just love lacrosse, and the only way for me to express it is to bet $500 a match on college lacrosse. Then it's like, well, then, no. Then we should stop you anyway. So I think I might be landing there, which is what Ohio State suggested, which is the sports that are minor in scope, don't bet on them. Because what are we losing? Who are we? Whose rights are we denying? And now here we are five months after Ohio legalized betting and we have a thing and it's not in football and it's not in basketball. And to your point, doesn't mean we'll never have it in football or basketball, but there's an upside to betting on those. There's a level of income. There's a level of interest. There's a level of enjoyment that there's an upside to the risk. And we understand the greasy slide and you got to have integrity monitors. What is the upside of betting on college sports that aren't baseball and football? For the potential downside, which is this. What's the upside? What are we what are we losing if we said, nope, we're out? I think someone could argue that there's upside as far as growing the interest in those sports, potentially. Um, but I think you'd also be talking about again, we need to be a little bit careful here. Football and basketball, the level of interest in them are so far above everything else. Then you have another section of sports, and that includes women's basketball, volleyball, which is huge some places, and then probably baseball as like the next one that are um, have a different level of popularity depending on regionally mostly um, where you are. And then and then you start to trickle down towards more things like tennis that are, are very much um, not national college tennis. Like I can't even tell you who the national college tennis powers are. It's probably like Florida and Stanford and I don't know, places like that. Um, and I think there's some good Big Ten programs in, in tennis as well. Ohio State has had some some tennis. You didn't stuff. listen. You didn't listen to the Ty Tucker podcast. You didn't I didn't to listen Ty to the Ty Tucker podcast. podcast. I know there are, I know there are good Big Ten programs, um, including Ohio State. But you know what I'm saying? Like I so that's that would be because here's the thing. It's like they're all amateur sports technically still at the college level. So where are you drawing the line? Should the line be absolutely be drawn at football and men's We're drawing basketball? Drawing the line at football and basketball. Yeah. Football and men's right. basketball. You can include women's basketball. But then, like, I, but then I would argue, like, yeah. but, like, why shouldn't volleyball be there as a sport that is growing and starting is, to, like, gain a bigger foothold? Look at the TV. And... Look, at, look at the interest. It's not the same. Nobody in the country talks about volleyball the way they talk about women's basketball. Yet. Yet, though. I think, and I think all I'm saying is think, I think that's why think people betting, would. You think betting I think is crucial to growing Olympic college sports? Crucial. 
yeah, I don't know about crucial, but I think it would, I don't think I don't know if it's crucial, but I think it someone would argue people could argue that it would be helpful. You'd have I'd have to you'd have to study it. I don't know. But I mean, has there been it, women's basketball has increased in popularity in recent years? Has the fact that you've been able to bet on it influenced that at all? The fact that you can bet on the WNBA has that in, trickled down at all to the interest in college sports? I don't know. But but college don't don't bring in pro sports like the, the pro sport I know, thing. I know. You can't, if you mention a pro sport, it's just it's a completely different animal. So I know, but let's not be naive and talk about college football as if it's not really a pro sport. You know what I'm saying? I know, and that's which like, is why you should be able to bet on it. Is college tennis a pro sport? No, it's not. No, it's not. No. But that's what I'm saying. Like, so we're I'm not sure that I feel as strongly as you do about you drawing keep saying, the line. Like, where so how do you where do you draw the line? You draw it at the two sports that people care about. So that's Basketball what I'm saying. Football. I don't so I wouldn't draw the I don't know if I would draw the line there, but I think you can draw a line farther down to where you're getting into sports that I mean you could even say, um, what about like just headcount sports versus equivalency sports if you're an equivalency sport where you can't even get a full scholarship then take those off but then that would leave you open to college football basketball women's basketball and then i guess volleyball would be the the last one so like you're not willing to draw a line between football basketball and everything else but you are willing to draw a line between like tennis and gymnastics like the line is is obvious if we're gonna draw there is a difference I think the line between football, basketball, and every other college sport is much starker than any sure. other line you could possibly draw in between. Sure. So I'm drawing the line at the easiest line. People care. People don't care. Draw the line there. That's where I would but draw I'm, the line. But I'm so, also – I think I'm also – I might even lean still more towards I don't know the line has to be drawn. I know that this incident happened, but this incident was also discovered and handled and – that's an example for the next and one. So the other along. part of, and, and I don't know that Ohio State, this is what they were thinking about when they were doing this. I think they really were more concerned with the players on the teams, that you mm-hmm. are a player on an under the radar sport, and now people are betting on you. And that maybe possibly potentially sets you up for something that you have no desire for and no control over and you're not getting the hey there's a hundred thousand people at our game hey we're on cbs for march madness it's like you're not really getting that much attention but you might somehow get negative attention related to gambling if someone bets on you and gets mad but you're not getting the other part of it right you're not getting the good attention so i I think so beyond the, hey, did they catch somebody or not or whatever? Like, do you think that's a reasonable argument? And then if we're going to draw an attention line, you could draw a line after basketball and football, and then nobody else matches that. And we're not going to, the answer is not, well, if your sport draws more than 8,000 people, then you can bet on it. Like, it's popular, it's not. Do you think that should matter in the discussion? Yeah, it probably should. And especially when you consider that there, I mean, when you're talking about tennis, and some of these other sports, like, I don't know, a lot of colleges aren't even, like, charging admission. So, like, are, is there going to be, like, <laughs> can you bet on, like, a college cross-country race where they just let anybody walk in that wants to see the race or whatever? You know what I mean? Like, I, that's, but that to me also is, why is there even a betting market for that? Like, if I was someone potentially betting on something, I would think, oh, like, what is, like, the easiest thing that could possibly be fixed? Like, the number five singles match at a, at a in a volley in a in a tennis match, the number five singles uh, thing that may be completely ir- um, have no effect on the overall team score of the match. 
like somebody couldn't get to somebody there and and manipulate the results of that uh, to, to favor a bet that I want to put down like that. What so point that, are you making? What point are you I'm making? That that's, that, right. I'm so saying you when, shouldn't have college tennis betting then. I'm saying the smaller you get, the more the more um, open yes. they are, more easily accessible they are. But that to me, that's also that also should be a deterrent yeah. in the first place Thank for you. having for someone placing the bet. No, 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 no. No, I think people think, and I think Tishu would tell us this. Sometimes I think the the less common knowledge there is about things, the more you feel like you can get. No, a but that's different. So that's sometimes different. that's different because, like a couple of years ago, I know that there were people who were doing very well betting on WNBA because they got ahead of where the books really were, and their analysis had gotten ahead of where the books were, and you could do very well betting WNBA stuff because the books weren't sophisticated enough yet. That's different than what I'm talking about, which is I, I there just isn't the, the market is so small on who would on the outcome of a college tennis match that it would seem to be the one that is the most the the the, the one that could be the most um, manipulated, the one that, where something nefarious could be going on. So why would I be betting on that? It would seem the most corruptible. Okay. Now I'm bored. I, I, so what's your vote? Your vote is keep it as it is. Everything's on the table as long as there's a market for it. You um, would not change the law in Ohio at all? Not at this point. I think that, again, I, I sort of lean towards this was an example of the system um, go, you know, being triggered, working. And I want to see more evidence that there's something here that um, is causing harm. So the texters, I gave like the two, if you're just on either side of this, I'm just against all sports betting. Like I, I hate this. I hate what it's done to sports. It's everywhere. 10%. 10% just are against it all. So it's like, well, the specifics of this is like, I don't care about specifics. I, I don't like any of it. The other side is I'm good. Bet on everything. Legalized sports betting. It's fine. It's regulated. It's taxed. There are their procedures and safeguards in place, 49%. So that's five times as many all for as opposed to all against. And that's half the people who are just like, and that's more than half the people who think it should be allowed that, that think just let everything go. There's no differentiation. I'm not worried about any of this stuff. I'm fine with betting on pro sports, but I think all college sports betting should be banned. That's 14%. So that means no bet on the Buckeyes at all. No college football betting, right? I, again, I thought, and maybe it's, I mean, it's it's counterproductive to making money. Like you can bet on all college sports, just not the ones that are in your state, <laughs> which is like, and again, this is this example of this. This is Alabama doesn't have sports betting. So it happened in Ohio. So that wouldn't have taken care of this, right? So there was a part of me that just thought that, that, but it's like, oh, what's this sports bank? It's like, oh, cool. I can bet five bucks in the Ohio State game. It's like, well, actually, you can bet five bucks in any game except the Ohio State game and except Cincinnati and Miami and Toledo and Bowling Green. And it's like, well, then what fun is that? It's like, I know. So that probably is – that's where I – five years ago, that's where I what I first thought. But actually, that probably doesn't make sense because then somebody who lives in Massachusetts, but it's an Ohio State fan, could bet on Ohio State just because it's not in their state. Because it's like if you're in the state, you can like walk down and like influence the game somehow. So I get it. That but anyway, no college sports betting at all. That's just anywhere. We bet on pro sports in America. We don't bet on college sports. 14%. 
I am fine with betting on college football and basketball, but I think other college sports betting should be get banned. 26%. That's a quarter of the people, Nathan, which is not nothing. And again, I have to decide, but I'm open to that because it's what I outlined. It's just like, I don't know what, if you, if you said we're banning everything other than football and basketball, I just don't know what you would lose. And maybe you would just preemptively protect some of these athletes and you would have, a, you know, this wouldn't have happened. So doesn't mean that this is the only thing, but I think I think it got you thinking about it. Once something happens, it, it's not theoretical anymore. So and and any coach like if this is a co- if this coach is involved, college football and basketball coaches make a boatload of money. Like they're not going to risk anything. You know what I mean? Like it's just that the lower the money is involved, the more gambling can matter to everything. So anyway. That's where we are. Some people don't care about that, but at least there were fewer people who were just totally anti-gambling than I expected. It was only 10%. All right, we come back. What are we watching? What are we eating? What are we thinking? Next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarice and Nathan Baird. Nathan, what are you watching? I was really hoping you wouldn't start with what you're watching. <laughs> we've, we've been watching a lot of the same things that we have been watching. The one newer thing that we watched was a, a Netflix docuseries called Keep sweet, pray, and obey. And it's about the Warren Jeffs fundamentalist LDS scandals from a few years ago, which was really interesting, but also it's kind of a tough watch <laughs> and not, not a lot of, for us to really banter about probably on this program. Keep sweet. What was it? Say it again. Keep sweet, pray, and obey. And it's it, it, and, and about. Yeah. <laughs> right. And about um, some of the things that were going on with underage uh, girls, the child brides and stuff in that society. The one thing it, 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 I, it is interesting, it, maybe it's even can somehow be a segue from what we just talked about with the gambling, but like how something can be so out in the open. But because this community keeps itself isolated out in the open, then there really is an oversight happening. And so these abuses could go on for a long time and almost get normalized because they uh, they they act with kind of the, the guise of their own authority. And here you're mixing in, you know, religious freedom and all those things that makes it more complicated. But like these things were happening in plain sight. Everyone knew it, but it took a long time for anyone to step up and do something about it. Sounds fun. So two things for me. <laughs> So it's a laugh, right? Uh, Stick around for the gag reel at the end. I did watch. There's this show I watched for ten years that I never loved, but I always watched, and it's, it's a particular hit a spot for me. It's called The Goldbergs. I don't know if people watched it. It was a show about. It's like a sitcom about growing up in the '80s. But the guy who wrote it was from the Philadelphia area, so it was based like in the suburbs of Philadelphia. So there were all these sports references, and all the sports references were to these random Philadelphia athletes who were like the athletes that I rooted for growing up two hours oh, yeah. from Philadelphia when I was 13. So there were a lot of like Dave Poulin, Ron Jaworski, Bobby Clark kind of references that I think like 98% of America was like, what? And I was like, oh my God, that guy has a Dave Poulin poster on his wall. So like as a child of the Philadelphia area in the eighties, I felt like it was made for me. And I never watched it live. I would watch like on Hulu and I just watched the series finale it went off the air after 10 years. It was a series finale. I had no idea it was a series finale until it, it ended. And I was like, oh, wait, was that the last episode ever? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it was. So anyway, it's just one of those shows that's in your life that I never loved it, but I thought it was fine. It's like a 
brainless 22 minutes, which is the opposite of the other thing I'm going to talk about, which is I hate Pete Davidson. I hate him. I don't know him. I dislike Pete Davidson with every fiber of my being. He has another TV show that's on. He's in Taco Bell commercials. I cannot believe how much I dislike personally a human that I have never met and never will meet. And I understand why I do, because I just think he's a slacker. And it's not that I hate the generation below me. It's that I hate slackers of all generations and that he is a monotone, ding dong, stupid slacker who has never said anything funny that I have ever heard on Saturday Night Live or anywhere else. I know he did a movie that I will never watch. I hate him. I hate that slacker. And he's everywhere. And it absolutely befuddles me that anyone could possibly find that monotone ding dong slacker either slightly entertaining. The appeal is absolutely positively beyond me, but he's everywhere. And I just, it's not like Elvis. Oh, that guy swiveling his hips. He's nothing. He's a blob. It's not that I, oh, kids today, he's, he's, I don't I don't know what he does. He just exists. Hey, what's on this what's the show about? Just Pete Davidson existing? Oh my god. I hate him. There's nobody in entertainment that I dislike more than Pete Davidson and I cannot get away from him. Nathan, do you have any thoughts on Pete Davidson? So, I some of his stand up that I've seen I think was funny. I don't watch Saturday Night Live religiously anymore. Um when I have seen him there, I have the same problem I had with him with Jimmy Fallon, which is, I don't like guys who crack up all the time in sketches. I can feel like he breaks all the time in sketches and it's like, be a professional and, and like get through it. Jimmy Fallon was awful at that. I thought Jimmy Fallon was one of the most overrated Saturday Night Live performers of all time. And his, now the Pete Davidson commercials, I have definitely come to grade on me because every, all of them, and there's some on the radio too. It's, it's like he's mailing it in from the first syllable that comes out of his mouth and it's that's where that slackerness comes in and and you're just like well why do i i'm already bored of this thing you're trying to sell me and and you're on all these commercials now so i definitely get that i did actually like the movie that he did it was a judd apatow movie bill burr was in it um marissa tomei i thought it was pretty good i think it was marissa tomei i think i think he's mailed in his whole career oh my god uh you eating anything so we had our son's first birthday party last Sunday, um, had a bunch of people out to a, a, like a park and uh, we had just sort of like sandwiches and we got the big um, like value pack of chips from Costco. And there's some kids there and I'm sitting down with some friends of ours and they're like uh, four or five year old and she is eating. And I, <laughs> I've never really thought about food this way, but she was eating her first bag of Cheetos. And like to get to experience someone experiencing Cheetos for the first time, because it's a very like singular food experience in a lot of ways. I actually think there were two young girls, one is even younger at this party who were eating their first Cheetos. And they very much wanted a second bag of Cheetos after having their first little bag of Cheetos. So to, to help someone like cross that important barrier in their life was a special little moment. Look at you, little Cheetos dealer there, getting them hooked. Oh, yeah. I would watch a 90-minute movie that was called First Bag of Cheetos, and it was just a compilation of people from all around the world. Maybe they're young, maybe they're older, and they've just never been exposed to it. Maybe they've tried to eat healthy, and they don't do it. 
but the only qualification is here are 200 people consuming their first bags of Cheetos and the reactions to that. It's a great movie. As long as Pete Davidson's not in it. So I have reached the point. I like to acknowledge my old person-ness. I have reached the point where one of the highlights of my week is to go to the grocery store and go in the frozen dinner aisle and look for the frozen meals that are on sale that I'm going to buy myself to make in the microwave for lunch. And the joy that I get when like the lean cuisines are $2.99 and it's one that I like is, I don't know. It's like Disney World number one. Link Cuisine's on sale, number two. And I'm just, I'm looking at the ingredients. I'm checking the carb count. I'm comparing what the price is per ounce between this brand and that brand. And, oh, man, they had a sale on these guys, but now they've been picked over. And, um, but the absolute, and my mom, who's old, has said this. She liked going to the grocery store with coupons and stuff because she thought it was like a treasure hunt. Like you're trying to find bargains and stuff. And so I'm treasure hunting in the microwave meals aisle at the grocery store. And and they're good. It's it is remarkable. Again, I just think I'm I am always enamored with what I think prices should be on things and that you can get like a full it's like, okay, what's in here? All right, there's a chicken. All right, so someone had to raise a chicken, catch a chicken. Well, I guess you don't have to catch it. You put it in one of those barns and they live a terrible life and you kill it. Mm-hmm. Cut up a chicken, depluck sure. a chicken, cut it up, then cut it up into little cubes, and then cook it enough that you could put it in this microwave. All right, there's chicken in there. All right, what? Well, there's a pepper in here. You had to grow a pepper. You had to pluck the pepper. Now you had to chop up the pepper. What else is there? There's a little bit of rice. You had to grow the. Now there's in a. It's in a plastic little bowl. Someone had to make a plastic bowl. There's film on top of it. Someone had to make the plastic film on top. Then there's a cardboard box that holds it all together. And it's $2.99. All the work, all the things that went into that. And it's $2.99. How is that possible, Nathan? How does that work economically that the rice people and the pepper people and the chicken people and the plastic people and the box people and the film people all got their cut and then you put it in a truck and someone had to drive the truck to the grocery store then someone had to unload it then someone had to put it on the shelf then you had to pay for the lights in the grocery store there's rent for the grocery store building and there's enough in that two ninety nine, that everybody involved gets a fair cut for my happy little lunch. It doesn't make sense to me. How is that not nine bucks? Well, um, I don't know what you consider a fair cut. The people who are picking the vegetables might not think they're getting a fair cut of that. Um, but uh, that's the that it's 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 bulk, right? You're buying in bulk. You're not making the one meal that is like waiting at the grocery store that's reserved for Doug Lamery's, you're making like a million of them and they get distributed all over the country. And you just happen to go pick one of them. Cause that's how many, you know, they're buying in bulk. They're creating in bulk may also say something about the quality of the ingredients in those, but you don't have to think about that. But that's, but they're good, man. And there's a sauce. They have a sauce. What about the sauce person? Mm-hmm. Someone's stirring up the sauce. There's multiple ingredients in the sauce. The sauce should be two ninety nine Anyway. Um, all right, so we kind of did a thinking already because we like kind of interrupted ourselves and talked about calendars. So, do you have anything else that you saved up for what you're thinking? I, I actually, and I, I never have a what you're thinking, but I did have one this week, and it's it's another kid thing. But uh, my mom is like the sweetest person in the world. 
former kindergarten teacher, does Sunday school and stuff. Just a sweet. Oh, my mom was a kindergarten nice teacher too. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. for for many years, and she got my son for Easter a little pink bunny, and has a little but little thing that you turn it on and it like hops and makes this like whatever they think a a bunny noise is, and we opened it up and gave it to him. And he was like very interested at first and was like, oh, this is like very, you know, it's nice, soft, cuddly toy. And then we turned it on and he immediately began like thrashing at it and trying to knock it away and was scared to death of it. So uh, they were here this past weekend for his birthday. We tried again. We showed it to him. He was even like when he sees it, he will like point at it and say his gibberish, whatever he says, and and like say that he wants it almost like implore for it. So you go give it to him. And then he seems kind of interested. So again, I tried to, I was sitting on the opposite side of the table from him and I flicked the on switch and it hopped across the table to him. And he made a sound I have never heard him make before, like shrieking. And my mom said he was like shaking in her arms. So it was just, the thing I was thinking about was just how easy it is to introduce accidentally sheer terror into your child's life. Like you go through so much of your day trying to like protect them and, and help them and make them laugh and make their life, you know, they're only awake for so many hours a day and like how much enjoyment can they get out of this life? And then you, you think you're doing a good thing and, or even just a a benign thing. And it turns out to be the, like they're experiencing, like, like he could not have reacted much with much more terror if it had been like a live lion coming to like rip his face off. That was basically the reaction he had to this little pink bunny. And as soon as this podcast is done, you're going to get that bunny back out and turn it on and make him like it. He's, he's not here, but we'll, you, we think that at some point he probably we can probably get him to not be terrified of it. But he might be like not not in the next couple of weeks for sure. Yeah. OK, well, you know, bunnies are kind of scary. I almost stepped on a baby bunny the other day. They just mm. sit there. It's very yeah. nerve wracking. Like, didn't, I was like, run away from me. I'm a big predator. Like, you should be scared of me. And it just was sitting there by itself. And I felt bad. I think this is the noise that it makes. Because you don't really, like, no bunnies don't make a noise the way, like, cats, dogs. So they, they have this mechanized robot squeak thing that this bunny does. And I think that's what makes it truly terrifying for him. I think if it was silent, then I think it might be okay if it was just hopping over to him. But... Because he has other things that move around, but I think it's the sound that is truly terrifying for him. We'll find out someday his therapist. You, this is an, this is an opportunity for you because you could get the bunny out and then beat it to death with a baseball bat in front of him, and then it'd be like, it "Dad's like here." Hearing, for yeah, yeah, exactly. Dad protects me. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting so thought. Maybe yeah. seize on that before your wife does it. You're gonna get <laughs> home, and your wife's gonna have the bunny out with a hammer and be like, "I'm doing it." Okay. Yeah. Thanks, you guys, for listening to our ramblings here on Buckeye Talk. We will be back uh, with more stuff later this week. we got some stuff planned. And I have an idea for a giant thing. A giant podcast undertaking. Which may or may not happen. But we'll keep you posted. For now, for Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>